you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. We have a big one this weekend, um, or maybe not. The opponent Nebraska's playing doesn't appear to have a name or a face, which is strange. Uh, joining me this week to talk about the game, I have two men now, one later. All are excellent. I'm very excited to have them on. First, Hale Varsity's managing editor and old school newspaper hat aficionado, Brandon Vogel. Brandon, hello. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Second, an absolute icon in the Nebraska media sphere. It would be dereliction of duty to not have him on this specific podcast for this specific week. It's the one and only Mike Babcock. Mike, my good friend, how are you? I'm doing fine. You know, icon translates to old, I think. And uh, that's where I qualify old, ancient. Well, how about the Godfather? That's what I put on Twitter. (laughs) We'll go with the Godfather. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's, that's the, that's good. You know, they called Bob Devaney the Bob father uh, at one point. So the Godfather would imply that you have just like an iron fist that you're ruling everything with, um, which would be the exact opposite way to describe you. So, yeah, that, that probably wouldn't work. Um, real quick, some housekeeping points. Subscribe to Hill Varsity. A new magazine is coming. You will want to read it. Go to hillvarsity.com backslash subscribe. Also, Brandon has a podcast. Subscribe to that if you don't already. It's the I-80 Preview Podcast. And it's perfect for the drive to a game on a normal week. This week, I imagine there is uh, some additional drive time. I've made this drive probably five or six times a year over the last four or five years. Um, And that particular drive from Nebraska to Oklahoma is perfect for podcasts because you really need to zone out. There's not much around you. Um, while you're at it, check out the full catalog of podcast offerings. This is a proud part of the Hill Varsity Network. Um, shouts to Cam for producing this podcast every week. He's our producer. Also, go sign up to be a mentor with teammates. They're not paying me to say that. I just love that organization. think everyone should be a part of it. Um, in a little bit, I'll be joined by Keegan Renault. He's an old buddy of mine from school. He's got an OU-focused podcast and a Patreon account with writing and film breakdowns that you can subscribe to. He's a great guy. He'll offer up some OU insight later in the podcast. Uh, but first, my two guests here right now, gentlemen, it's Oklahoma week. Um, one of Scott Frost's sloganeering bits from his early days was nameless, faceless opponent. And you'd hear it crop up before big games, rivalry games, like games with Iowa specifically. Um, I, I understand it from a coaching perspective, but sometimes I just wish people in this sport would be like, yeah, you know what? We played Buffalo last week. They were all right. We played the number three team in the country this week, Oklahoma, we've got history with them. This one means a lot. Um, Something I found interesting though, and this is kind of what we're going to talk about. uh, Savion Morrison is a second year freshman running back for Nebraska. He was born in 2002. He's from Oklahoma. 
Since the time of his birth, Nebraska football has a record of 143 and 100. That's a 59 winning percentage. It has four double-digit win seasons. It has zero AP top 10 finishes. It has fired four different head coaches, and it has won zero conference championships. Since the time of Savion's birth, Oklahoma football has a record of 206 and 49. That's an 81 winning percentage. It has had 15 double-digit win seasons. It has had 13 AP top 10 finishes. It has not fired a head coach, and it has 13 conference championships. So it was pretty apparent in the Monday press conference this week that the Nebraska-Oklahoma rivalry has more of an emotional grip on the fan base than it does the players. Uh, Brandon, we'll start with you. Do you think that will sort of detract from the game atmosphere, take away from the game in any way, or is this going to, even though the teams aren't on the same level that, that maybe Osborne and Joe Castiglione thought they would be at when they set this game up a few years ago, do you think this game is going to have something of a muted atmosphere given all the pageantry around it? Or do you think it's going to still be a big deal? I think it has a chance to still be a pretty big deal. I mean, from the player's perspective, it's probably a little different than facing Alabama if they were to do that or um, facing Ohio state, you know, which another was another big 10 program, you know, when Nebraska joined the big 10, they had, you know, some series like against the Minnesota that were pretty lengthy. Ohio state wasn't one of those. Um, so I think from the player's perspective, it becomes just, this is a really good team. And for us to kind of make a public show of progress that we're making, we need to be in one of these games, one of those times, but I think it'll still feel big in the stadium. Um, it obviously has meaning for fans of, of a certain age, even though that that becomes a, a dwindling group as we continue to go on. So I, I don't think it detracts from it. It's just it's just different for for the players. And, and I thought they did a good job of explaining exactly exactly why this week. Yeah. Um, Samori Torre's comment where he said, what kind of team would we be if, if we didn't think we were up to the challenge or we didn't think we could do it? Um, I thought was was interesting. I, I mean, I think the point spread was 23 or 24 when the line opened. Um, so very few people expect Nebraska to actually be competitive, but um, I think, you know, specifically with the way that they've shown defensively, we could, we could get a good game um, as long as they don't, you know, do some of the offensive shooting yourself in the foot that they've done recently. Yeah. On that point, that's really kind of what I need to see from Nebraska, uh, you know, not to get into a, a deep game game breakdown, but Ture's comment was was right on the nose. What kind of team would we be if that if that weren't the case? And we see this happen in college football a lot. And I think minus 2018 at Ohio State, I'm still waiting for Nebraska to show that again, where, you know, you see Tulane go in in week one and they're not scared, you know, they're not scared at all. Like they're like, we belong here. And you see that across college football, Iowa state and Kansas state, I think are further along in Nebraska in some regards culturally, but the talent level isn't drastically different. So I just, I, I want to see a Nebraska team that's willing to go in there and trade punches and, and feel like they deserve to be there. Sure. You, you, you mentioned Brandon before there's, there's like a, a dwindling class of people that this game means something personal to um, this game means something to me just because, you know, this is the team that I, that my dad grew up a fan of. And then on the other side is, is where I went to school. Um, but for like my age group, it doesn't have the same kind of um, historical punch, I guess, as um, for some of the older generations, Mike, uh, 
I'm going to transition to you. I'm not calling you old, but I am going to ask you, why does this game mean so much to people? Well, I think there's a long tradition for Nebraska, Oklahoma, again, for people of a certain age. Um, the one thing that I that I would say, and, and this may be obvious, but um, this rivalry has always meant a little bit more to Nebraska than it has to Oklahoma, because for Oklahoma, it's always been Texas. And you saw that when the Big 12 was established, you know, and Oklahoma didn't have a problem going into the opposite division and not playing Nebraska every year. Nebraska fans had a big, that was a concern, you know, it's like we, we need to play Oklahoma every year because that's what, you know, that's our rival. But um, so it's always meant a little bit more to Nebraska fans, I think. But, you know, there are there are elements of it that go back a long way. And, I, and I'm just going to tell a kind of a funny story, I think. Um, and this really doesn't have anything to do with current times because we're talking over we're talking 100 years ago. But when Nebraska was in the Missouri Valley Conference, um, the Missouri Valley Conference had a rule that you had to play your home games in your home town, city. So Lincoln, Nebraska's home games were to be played in Lincoln. In 1919, Nebraska scheduled a game, <clears throat> a non-conference game against Oklahoma in Omaha as part of a doubleheader. Creighton, I think, played Marquette something. Nebraska barely made expenses by doing that, so it was a mistake. But when Nebraska scheduled that game, it was evicted from the Missouri Valley Conference because it violated one of the rules. So in 1920, Nebraska played, I think, one Missouri Valley team. Everybody else dumped them. I think maybe Kansas didn't. But Nebraska was out of the conference for two years. The team that replaced Nebraska in the Missouri Valley Conference was Oklahoma. So Nebraska gets tossed out. Oklahoma gets brought in. 1921, Nebraska asks, hey, can we get back in the conference? You know, we're sorry. Uh, Nebraska's allowed back in. So now Oklahoma and Nebraska are conference rivals. The Big Six, Missouri Valley has cut down to the Big Six, and Nebraska and Oklahoma have been rivals all the way to every year until the Big 12 is formed and they play on, uh, what, every every uh, four years or every, there's a break in there. <clears throat> so the Nebraska-Oklahoma thing goes back a long way. It goes back 100 years. For Nebraska fans, you know, you just looking at history, it's an ironic kind of a thing how they end up in the same conference. Okay, then, you know, another sort of, and, and this isn't all there is to it, but, you know, Oklahoma had the 47-game winning streak, and then it had the, uh, what, 74-game conference unbeaten streak. There were two ties in there, but Nebraska upset them in 1959. That was a big deal to Nebraska fans, obviously, and there was a there was a dynamic going on there too because Bill Jennings, Nebraska's coach, had been an assistant at Oklahoma, and had actually kind of been the recruiting coordinator. Um, Oklahoma was investigated by the NCAA for recruiting violations. Bill Jennings took the fall for it. I believe they got him a job in uh, Dallas for an oil company or something. He was dismissed from the Oklahoma staff. He took the fall. Nebraska hires him as head coach. So now you've got a little bit of uh, 
unhappiness on the part of Bill Jennings because he got dumped by Oklahoma. He's the coach at Nebraska in 1959 when they upset Oklahoma. There are some other recruiting things that go on in there. You know, Bill Jennings always claimed that uh, he and Bud Wilkinson had an agreement that he wouldn't look at any players in Oklahoma uh, to recruit unless Wilkinson signed off on it. Wilkinson said he wouldn't look at any players in Nebraska unless Jennings signed off on it. This is what Jennings said. Um, so Monty Kiffin is a senior at Lexington High School. Uh, Bud Wilkinson takes a flight to Lexington to talk to Monty Kiffin without uh, getting clearance from uh, Bill Jennings. So there's tension there. Um, Oklahoma has uh, goes on probation for uh, recruiting violations, blames Bill Jennings for the guy uh, at Nebraska now for turning him in. They try to uh, get Nebraska on some on some recruiting thing of a player, Wichita, Kansas, I think nothing ever came of it. Um, so 1959, you have the big upset. 1960, Nebraska goes down there and wins again. And Jennings has to be escorted off the field by with police because the Oklahoma fans are so upset with him, okay? So it's not a big deal because Nebraska doesn't beat Oklahoma on a consistent basis, but Nebraska beat them two years in a row. Then Bob Devaney comes here. First year, goes down to Norman, gets beat 34 to six. I don't know, whatever it was. The next year, 63, is right after the Kennedy assassination. And there's a question about whether the game should be played or not. And I think television stepped in and said, needs to be played. Or I think the conference stepped in actually and said, you need to play the game. We need to identify a conference champion because we have, we have an agreement with the Orange Bowl or whatever. Anyway, it's one of the few games that's played on that on that Saturday after the Kennedy assassination. Oklahoma, Nebraska, Nebraska wins the game. Um, Devaney didn't have a great success against Oklahoma. Um, here's one more sort of little story, but um, in 1968, uh, Nebraska finished six and four. The last game of the season is Oklahoma. Uh, Nebraska gets beat 47 to nothing. Uh, Bob's pretty upset about it because the coach at Oklahoma, Chuck Fairbanks, played at Michigan State when Bob was an assistant coach there. And I believe Bob was his position coach. So there's a little tension there. 1969, Nebraska plays Oklahoma, beats him 44 to 14. I think it's the only game that Steve Owens didn't rush for 100 yards. Um, so you, there's a little bit of tension there, Devaney and Chuck Fairbanks. Um, you know, and then you've got the game of the century, and then you've got the situation with Tom Osborne, you know, has a difficult time winning against Barry Switzer coach teams. The first time Tom does it, 1978, a uh, big upset, Oklahoma's number one in his book, uh, Bootlegger's Boy, I think Barry Switzer said that might have been the best team he had. Uh, Nebraska beats him. A week later, Nebraska loses to Missouri. Warren Powers, there's another uh, some more tension there. Um, uh, so Nebraska doesn't have an opportunity to play Penn State in the Orange Bowl. It plays a rematch with Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl, gets beat. Then I think Nebraska loses the next three years. And when finally when Turner Yo comes here, Nebraska wins three, three in a row. But Tom Osborne had difficulty beating Barry Switzer. So Nebraska fans, you know, it was traditionally, and if you look at it, it was mostly 
the last game of the regular season. You know, there were a couple times in 71, it wasn't even the last game because they went to Hawaii, Nebraska did, and played a game out there. Uh, sometimes people forget that. Um, it was played around Thanksgiving. It wasn't always played on Thanksgiving, but people, you know, get it in your mind, you remember it that way. Um, so it was just, there were just a lot of things that went there. Um, you know, it, for a time there, it was like whoever won the Nebraska-Oklahoma game probably won the conference. I mean, you know, it had it had that kind of implication. And then Oklahoma went on a little bit of a downslide. Nebraska won uh, three national championships under Osborne. And, and uh, really, I, I look at the kind of last hurrah for Nebraska was the was the game in uh, was it 2001 that Nebraska upset Oklahoma 20 to 10. And then uh, later on got hammered by Colorado and it kind of that fell off the cliff after that, haven't been consistently in the, in the national rankings since then. That 2001 game, that was my first college football game. So there's the, uh, there's the <laughs> significance for me. That was the first one I got to attend. My dad took me to that game. I remember walking through downtown and thinking like, this place is huge. These buildings are gigantic because I was little. And then the first time I came back to Lincoln, I was like, this is nothing like I remember it from when I was here the last time. Yeah, so. it was, a, you know, that was, there was great enthusiasm, you know, there's a big upset, Oklahoma, whatever, and then the Colorado debacle. And yeah. Things have never been the, been the same. There are a couple of things that just stuck out of my head as you were talking through that. First of all, the parallel between uh, Nebraska 100 years ago wanting to play a game outside of the structure of the conference and getting kicked out of the conference. Uh, contrast that to what happened last year. I think it's funny. Also, can you imagine um, if opposing coaches had to request permission from Nick Saban to recruit inside the state of Alabama? That'd be, that'd be incredible. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if that's an apocryphal story or not. I, Bill Jennings uh, told me that uh, at one point, but uh you know, he, he was a, he was a good assistant coach at Oklahoma. I mean, they, they um, really respected him, but you know, when the investigation came, they, they dumped him and uh, got him a decent job at a, you know, with an oil company, I think, but yeah. he wanted to coach. So Brandon, Mike references the 2001 game and immediately my head goes to a memory, a personal memory that I have associated with that game. It seems like from what I've seen from people on social media and, and heard, most people have a personal memory associated with Nebraska, Oklahoma. What is, do, do you have one? What's your favorite memory of this game? Yeah. So um, when we were starting Hale varsity, literally the first issue we did was uh, 50 years of sellouts and like I had no idea what I was doing. I was just lucky to to be there. And Mike asked me to write a column for that issue about, uh, I think it was first Nebraska game. And my first Nebraska game was actually 1987, uh, Oklahoma, Nebraska, uh, kind of coined as game of the century too. Like the buildup for that game was huge. Armin Katayan, longtime journalist. And I can't remember the co-author, but like came in and wrote this muckraking book about the whole thing. Um, and it's, it's an interesting read. I don't use muckraking as a, a negative necessarily. You know, it was what it was. So that was my that was my first Nebraska game. And I was I was would have been eight then. My brother was four and he went. And I specifically remember um, he got like really, really sick to the point where he didn't get to go. But that was a rarity. That was the only Nebraska game I went to 
because I grew up six hours from Lincoln and just buzzing down there for a Saturday wasn't really a reality for, for us. Um, so that was the first and only Nebraska game I went to until I was in college. And I remember it was pretty cold. Uh, we were up underneath the overhang, I think in West stadium, there was a pillar right in my way, but it was more kind of, I think what you experienced in, in 2001 of you're just like, Oh, so this is what it's all about. Um, this is what, you know, everybody's watching on TV all the time. And we stayed at the Cornhusker hotel. My brother and I got t-shirts. I, I think I still have, I think my mom found my brother's t-shirt. Mine is lost. Um, but I still have my brother's t-shirt from that and did the whole bit, stayed right in downtown Lincoln, went to the game. Um, my parents, hopefully they don't get mad at me for mentioning this, but I've mentioned it before, so they should be used to it. Uh, got some bootleg shirts off the street corner that read expletive Oklahoma. Um, I still have that as well. So, you know, it just growing up, it was like, it was the game that mattered. And I think for the reasons that Mike, Mike explained, it was often the last game of the season. And then it was also like the stakes were there too. Uh, I, I was actually reading Oklahoma's game notes this morning and there was one thing that gave me pause. They had a listing, you know, a little sidebar about most conference championships in college football. Oklahoma is number one. And I don't remember the number. And I think this was all time. And Nebraska is still number two. Um, which surprised me given that they haven't won one since 1999. And I mean, I think that right there tells you why this rivalry, uh, I'll still call it that because it is one to me, even if they don't get to play it very often, um, why this rivalry stands out. And you, you look at one, two in terms of conference championships, like the stakes for that are going to be really, really high over a really long period of time. And then you get into some of the more detailed stuff, the handshake deals, the connections between the programs. Um, and it, it was just, it was a ton of fun. Next, you know, I was at that 2001 Oklahoma game as well. So I, I think we're three for three for being at that game in person uh, on the podcast. I was there in 2009 when uh, Nebraska's defense carried, carried the day. And it was really its only way to win that game. And then 2010. So I've been to four Nebraska, Oklahoma games in person. I've never covered one though. So I'm excited to get the chance to do that. I remember watching the 2010 game at my, uh, my aunt and uncle's house in Kansas. And like everybody's just screaming at the TV as that game unfolds. Cause they were obviously they were all of course, Nebraska people. Um, my, my grandfather went to K-State. So he grew up a K-State fan, but he also lived in Nebraska. So he was Nebraska. Um, yeah. That game was wild. Um, Mike, you have, I mean, you're just a wealth of historical information on Nebraska, but do you have a personal memory associated with this game for you? Um, you know, I think that uh, I didn't go to a lot of games uh, growing up. I just didn't have the opportunity. I think the first Nebraska-Oklahoma game I saw was the game in 1970 here um, because I was in graduate, graduate school then. I had a student ticket Um but the most memorable Nebraska-Oklahoma game for me will always be the 1978 game uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it was the first year I was at the Lincoln Journal and Star newspaper. Um, being a newspaper person was what I always wanted to do, but I, you know, I taught for seven years in a community college. My master's degree was in English. I didn't really know how you prepared for being a sports writer. So by accident, kind of, I, I got that job. But um, 
Nebraska was number four, I think. Oklahoma was number one. Um, again, my first game actually covering Nebraska, Oklahoma. Um, it was a, you know, it was a dramatic uh, finish. Oklahoma fumbled nine times, lost six of those fumbles, including one right within two or three yards of the goal line uh, with uh, late in the game. Billy Sims fumbled it away. Um, and I, you know, the other thing is that because I grew up with the rivalry, even though I uh, didn't go to a lot of games, I watched games on TV whenever it was available. And, um, so all the time that I've done this, and I don't travel anymore, but um, my favorite place to go, um, and not counting bowl games, my favorite place to go was Norman, Oklahoma. Again, because of that background, I, I think the two best stadiums I, for me always were the one in Norman and Notre Dame. You know, I went there and that was, that was unbelievable. I didn't grow up a Notre Dame fan, but that experience was really remarkable as well. But Oklahoma was always, here, here's the interesting thing for a newspaper person going to Oklahoma, the Oklahoma people, the administration, the coaches, uh, the sports information people, they were always so accommodating. Um, but typically the newspaper when the game was in Norman, uh, we'd send somebody down, you know, two or three days before the game to write advances. And I went down a couple of times on that and th they were just accommodating. You know, if you want to talk to players, go ahead and talk to players. You know, you had access to the locker room. Um, it was quite different from the way Nebraska handled things. Um, and I always joke, you know, uh, I was on a first name basis with Barry Switzer, uh, not my name. Uh, he called me Bob, but, uh, uh, he, he would all, you know, it was always a, a cordial thing like that. And I, and so the Nebraska, Oklahoma thing, and, you know, for me, the games are kind of secondary. It's always been the people, um, coaches, players, administration, support personnel, fans, uh, the people that, that I work with, um, that's what keeps me doing what I do. And that's why Oklahoma was uh, special for me. Um, and in the, in the big eight, you know, you got to know everybody. You had the Skywriters tours, a 10 day deal. You made stops and you know, you know, all the SIDs, all the coaches, all the athletic directors. Um, it was a first name basis, but no place was more accommodating than Oklahoma. And that 78 game was um, my first opportunity as a, as a journalist to, uh, to see it. And, you know, that's pretty cool too, um, because I hadn't seen that many games at that point. Yeah. And we didn't get access to a lot, but, uh, when I was, um, when I was kind of going through school, they were, they were really accommodating. I've, I've told people that was one of the best places to, to learn how to do this job in school, just because of <clears throat> how great they were. Now, Gaylord's going to look a little bit different from what you guys remember it. It's, it's, it's a little different. Also, Brandon, cause you're going to be there. The Mont does swirls to go now. Oklahoma's new law went into effect where they can sell alcohol to go. So you're going to have to get a swirl and take it with you uh, because it's wonderful. So put that on the checklist. Um, I have been to, I, so I've covered, I covered two Colorado games and there was a lot of hatred kind of on display for those two games. That seems to be um, 
what the entire series was, the entire rivalry was. My interaction with people from Oklahoma when they find out that I covered Nebraska was the exact opposite. And when I first moved here, when people found out that I was from Oklahoma and that I had gone to OU and had covered the Sooners for, for a little bit, um, the reaction was always like, oh, I miss those guys. What's the team like? There was a lot of respect. And so kind of for the first few years I was here, when people would ask me, like when people back home would ask me, how's Nebraska doing? Do they miss this game? I'd be like, yeah, there's just a, a healthy respect for the two teams. And I've seen in recent days on social media, some people have said that that's like a, a hijacking of the narrative that this rivalry, this series used to be just white hot hatred and not so much respect. I guess, Brandon, we'll, we'll start with you. Like, was this series respectful or was it, was there just a lot of, was it like Colorado hatred? Yeah, yeah it's, it's a really interesting question. So like, as I mentioned, my insertion into the Nebraska, Oklahoma rivalry is kind of like 87. That's where it starts. I'm probably aware of it a little bit earlier. And at that point, like, I mean, I mentioned the shirt my parents bought, you know, as, as mostly a joke, um, but that like sentiment was there. And I think, you know, sooner magic, that whole piece of it. Um, and just Barry Switzer, his nature. And I do think there was a good deal of respect for Barry Switzer as well, but he liked to, you know, he liked to rib people and he liked to take his, take it. I don't know if shots is the right word, but you know, he, he, he'd rib you a little bit. So I think there was kind of from Nebraska's perspective, Oklahoma was the team that had to beat, um, which was largely true for Oklahoma too. But for longer stretches, Oklahoma was the team Nebraska couldn't beat. So I think the hatred probably, if, if we're going to use that word, stemmed from that. But I've always looked at this rivalry as it's not classic in the sense of, you know, the hatred between Oklahoma and Texas's football programs predate college football to to a certain degree i mean they're just and, and you get this with these sort of backyard rivalries and nebraska oklahoma was never that you know i've written before that you know it, unlike some of these a, a nebraska never got their gas pumped by an oklahoman or v vice versa and so you just don't have that constant interaction which i think makes you know something like west virginia pit or clemson south carolina a little bit more tense. So I've always felt a, a good deal of respect both ways. And I think that's, at least that's my best theory as to why. Uh, you are correct in saying in your, in your assessment that Oklahomans and Texans hate each other and it has nothing to do with football because we were born and raised to not like Texas. So right on the money. Um, Mike, d do you have the same sort of take as Brandon? Do you, do you agree with Brandon on this? Oh uh, yeah. I want to, Texas, Oklahoma, I have a little uh, footnote on that. Um, Skyriders tour. Uh, the year hold hold on one sec. Is this glowing for Texas or is this uh, negative towards Texas? This is negative towards Texas. I'll allow it. Continue. This from Texas, right? Yeah. But he goes to Oklahoma. And uh, we, we, we interview him on the Skyriders tour. He comes in, he's got a button-down shirt. I mean, it didn't look like the boss. boss the boss, he was... Just uh, Bosworth. And uh, he said, uh, somebody asked him about it. You know, you're from Texas, but you come to Oklahoma. And he said, I hate Texas. I hate orange. Um, and that's as simple as that. And that's all he'd say. Um, yeah, there, there was that hatred. That wasn't the case with Nebraska. 
And one of the, a couple things. One, um, Switzer and Bob Devaney were pretty good friends. And in 1980, I think when they played, um, Bob Devaney had a Sunday night or a, excuse me, a Friday night prediction show uh, on um, Channel 10, I think, 10, 11. And, uh, and so uh, Barry Switzer worked it out. And while Bob was sitting there, uh, Barry Switzer came out and gave him a taco, uh, an indication that uh, they were going to lose the game and they were going to go to the Sun Bowl and Oklahoma was going to go to the Orange Bowl, which is what happened. Um, but it was kind of a funny thing that Switzer did. And, and, you know, I don't know if a lot of people know, but I think Switzer and Osborne maintained a, a fairly regular conversation on the phone. And, I mean, they were, it wasn't like they disliked each other or anything like that. Um, so I think that w within the coaching, within the coaching staff, that, you know, there wasn't that um, sort of tension uh for the fans, I think if, if there was tension, it was mostly the result of frustration, you know, because Oklahoma, again, under Switzer, um, Nebraska didn't have much success. And he started, he, he became the head coach the same year that Tom became head coach in 1973. So um, that was frustrating uh, for Husker fans to, uh, to lose to Oklahoma. And, you know, there was always the, there was the talk that uh, Tom was going to lose his job because he couldn't beat Oklahoma. His teams couldn't beat Oklahoma. And in 78, when Nebraska finally did, uh, was the same time that Tom went out to Colorado and interviewed for the job out there uh, to replace Bill Mallory and got pretty close, pretty close to, to taking, I, you know, I don't know uh, really how, how, how close it was, but I know that he and Nancy, uh, flew out there, um, and he uh, he talked to the players, uh, and then uh, indicated to us that that he you know in talking to the players he realized that he couldn't coach those players against players that he had coached at Nebraska, uh, so he declined the job. But I think Colorado offered him hundred thousand dollar salary, and he was making about thirty five at Nebraska at the time. So. Um, that was a big thing, but it, you know, it was like you couldn't separate it from Oklahoma, not, not being successful against Oklahoma. So if the fan frustration had to be that, but it wasn't, I don't think it was to the degree that, uh, you know, when Warren powers brought Missouri in here, the fans were not too cordial. And I think when Bill McCartney was the coach at Colorado, the fans were not too cordial because they were responding to what it was like out there uh, in Boulder. That was always, um, you know, we, we always drove out to Boulder and we always rented a car. We didn't want one with Nebraska plates on it, um, driving out to Boulder because it was, you were asking for trouble if, if that were the case. Yeah, I remember when we went to Boulder, people told us, this, you might've told us the, that exact thing. Cause I, I think Aaron made a point of getting a, a car that didn't have Nebraska plates on it. Cause yeah. we didn't want to deal with yeah, that. No, you didn't but... want Nebraska plates in Colorado. Um, you didn't want to really be associated with Nebraska and Colorado because they'd throw stuff at you. Yeah. Although Nebraska fans threw oranges on the field too, and that was not a not a good thing when the police officer got hit with one and suffered severe injuries. But uh, yeah, it was it was a different time, that's for sure. Different kind of rivalry, different kind of series for this game. So so this game is 
technically commemorating the 50th anniversary of the 1971 game of the century. Number one, Nebraska beat number two, Oklahoma, 35-31. That game features one of the signature moments in all of college football history, Johnny Rogers' punt return. Um, This game is in name, sort of the anniversary of that game. That game took place on November 25th, 1971. This game is, is taking place almost a month and a half earlier, two months earlier. Um, so to me, this game feels a little bit more like a commemoration of the entire series, the rivalry, um, the, I guess, connection between these two programs. Um, it, it's interesting that, you know, Brandon brings up Oklahoma's number one in conference championships, Nebraska's number two. These are two college football blue bloods and they're in places where traditionally you wouldn't, you, you just wouldn't expect to get this kind of a dominant football program. Um, now Oklahoma's got Texas, but you know, I think before recruiting boomed and, and, you know, I mean, Oklahoma recently has been able to go wherever they want to recruit, but that hasn't always been the case. And yet these two programs are huge and they're connected. I think partly because of that, just because they had success where, Maybe they shouldn't have had success or it was more difficult to have success. Um, so to me, like this weekend feels like it's going to be sort of a um, commemoration of all of that, not necessarily just the one specific game 50 years ago, but all of it, all of the pageantry. And so that's a big billing. That's a lot to live up to. Um, Brandon, I'll go back to you for this question. Do you think this can, I guess, scratch that itch? Do you think this can be, um, that kind of a game? Do you think it can be competitive for long enough, close down the stretch? It's going to be Fox's big noon kickoff game. It's a, it's, I mean, it's a highlight game on the calendar, regardless of where Nebraska's at. Um, do you think that it, it can be that once the ball gets kicked off? I think there's a chance. Uh, I think Nebraska defensively, and, you know, I was pretty optimistic about defense coming in maybe not as much as some others but they've been better than than even I thought and, and you know, Oklahoma is a totally different different animal like it's not going to be easy in any way the biggest thing is uh, and this may seem like kind of a <laughs> um a doomed mission but can Nebraska's offense keep up uh they can, you've got to score points to beat Oklahoma and that's the biggest question for me but I do think Nebraska can come in and trade punches for a bit um, like I said a little bit earlier, it's kind of the thing I feel like I need to see from this team at, at some point, you know, here in year four under this coaching staff. But I, I like it. I, the, the spread is what it is for a reason. Um, Oklahoma is a deserving favorite. It's uh, a program that's been way ahead of Nebraska for quite a while now. Um, but hopefully just the opportunity, you know, even if the players don't remember this specifically, don't have specific memories tied to it you know, Frost said they're going to have former players and players that were involved come in and tell them about it. You hope to see a little extra charge, I think, at Nebraska at the start. And if they get a decent start, I think they got a chance to hang in for a little bit. Mike, what say you? Do you think this game can can be close? And if not, will that sort of sour your experience of the game? Do you think that'll sour the pageantry? Um, you know, before the season, I thought, you know, what, 20-plus points disparity was probably pretty accurate but you know as I watch it and a little bit like what Brandon said with the defense I think Nebraska it, it, you know it's tough to get the mindset that you're going to go in when, when you're 
that much of an underdog when you go into a game. It's tough to have the mindset that, hey, we're going to hang with these guys. I mean, you can you can tell reporters that, you know, where, you know, it's just a nameless, uh, faceless opponent. And, you know, but but you're aware of it. And everybody's asking them about the rivalry. And they, don't, they don't know. You know, you have to be of a certain age to understand that, certainly. But um, so you're bombarded with this stuff. You know, and it's difficult to get the mindset, I think. Um, but if if you can actually believe, and I think Nebraska has some players that are pretty good, you know, and I think the defense has a potential to be pretty good. If the offense can not make critical mistakes, um, and you're going to make mistakes, but if you can cut those down, I think Nebraska can be competitive in the game. Um, the closer it gets, the more I think that's the case. But I don't know the answer to that mindset thing, you know, to these, can the players believe because they've had, you know, the frustration of the Illinois loss and where Illinois is now. And um, it just, it's just a mental thing, I think. If Nebraska can get that right in some way, shape or form, I think Nebraska has a chance to hang with Oklahoma, but, um, you know, I, I hope so because, it, you know, because of the buildup, I know that the Oklahoma is hosting a, a big function for players from the game of the century. There are several Nebraska um, guys going down to that. Um, so it, it, you know, it's, it's, could be electric atmosphere there. I, uh, I, I don't know whether Oklahoma just looks at it as well. There's another another win on the junket, which is a mindset too, the other way. So I think it comes down to mindset uh, to some extent if Nebraska can be competitive. Certainly. And that, I mean, that hits at the heart of what Frost talks about or has been talking about for the last three plus years when he talks about we need momentum, we need to start right, we need to have the right culture, we need guys to have confidence. Um, it's just a, a belief that you're going to go out on the field and you're going to have just as much of a chance to win as, as the guys across from you. Um, gentlemen, I've taken up enough of your time already. I'm sure you guys have, have stuff to do. Thank you so much for, for coming on this podcast and, and sharing some Oklahoma memories. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Derek and Brandon. Switching gears, I want to introduce Keegan Renault. Keegan had me on his podcast uh, in the summertime to talk about Nebraska, so it's only right that I return the favor and bring him on this podcast to talk about Oklahoma. Keegan's got his own podcast, Inside OU, and a Patreon with writing and film breakdowns that you can subscribe to. Keegan, I asked George Stoya to be on this podcast before I asked you, and he said no. Um, so thank you for being number two. Welcome. Yeah, George definitely. <laughs> that would have been interesting. Just he told he me he a... was drunk for the Tulane game, so he couldn't talk about it. Yeah, and he's – He's so in the weeds with the NFL right now, too. Um, he's doing an unbelievable job up with Denver. I don't know if you read his game or from last weekend, but he's doing he, uh, good friend of mine, good friend of ours, um, really close with George and gotten really close. Even even with me leaving the daily like I did, him and I have always been on good terms. And um, it's, uh, it's definitely – no, I'm excited, man. It's like the first – I guess that I was at the Tulane game and we can talk about the atmosphere and all that, but this is like the first real like game, game, game for Oklahoma. Cause obviously they played Western Carolina this last weekend. Yeah. So I'm just ribbing you. You were, you are, you were my guy. You were my guy when I was like, all right, we need to have somebody on to talk about Oklahoma. 
Um, I teased this on Twitter on Thursday. You were one of the football smart people that I pay attention to and listen to and trust. So let's talk about Tulane. Oklahoma led that game 37-14 at halftime. It was 40-22 to entering the fourth quarter. Oklahoma survived. Tulane had two late scores. They had an onside kick that they recovered. Oklahoma survived 40-35. to If you look at um, what Spencer Rattler did in that game, if you just look at the box score, and this is where I want to start with you, Spencer Rattler. He was 30 for 39 for 304 yards. He had two scores, one of them on the ground, and he had two interceptions. Fast forward to week two against Western Carolina. I know the opponent sucks, but he was, again, super efficient, throwing the ball 20 for 26. So how do you assess his first game against Tulane? He's a Heisman hopeful. He was a guy that people talked about as like, well, he'll be the top quarterback selected when he goes to the NFL draft. Um, preseason darling kind of guy. Did he have a good debut? Did he have an okay debut? Did he have a discouraging debut? Where are you at with him after the Tulane game? I think like the biggest thing is that he had four inaccurate throws, which, which two of them kind of have answers for why they happened. So he had two just inexcusable inaccurate throws and from Spencer, that's, that's not normal. That's, that was, you know, as at this point, it's kind of an outlier. We'll see if it shows up more this year. Uh, a lot of people point last week at two, two throws he had that were bad. One was a tip pass and the other one, the left tackle stepped on his foot. So um, through two weeks, he's had a, you know, that first week had some inaccuracy stuff, which again, he was the most accurate quarterback in college football a year ago, um, especially on the run. And then you, you point to a lot of the mental stuff, which is, I think that's what a lot of people want to get to. Um, he had, again, four bad decisions upstairs. Um, two of them there's answers for, and it's Lincoln's at fault for it as well in terms of some of the play calling against the defense that Tulane was running. So he had two inaccurate throws that were inexcusable against Tulane and two just decisions that you can't make at this point. It's, it's year two, can't happen. Last week still had some mental stuff that needs to be cleaned up, but ultimately, and you've seen me say this, Derek, like, we're talking about these, especially four of the top five, six NFL quarterbacks this year are 21. They're juniors, first-year draft-eligible guys. There's going to be a lot of volatility with them. They're, they're gonna, they lost seven months of development last year, and whenever you talk to people within the industry, that's a, for quarterbacks, especially that an hour on the fast track, everybody's at the, you know, sit one year, play two, go off to the NFL. Uh, that development time is, is crucial every minute and every day that they can get is very important. So he's going to have some, there's going to be a game. There's going to be another game at this year at some point where Spitzer's going to be, you're going to have that WTF moment where like, is he growing up? Is he maturing? Is he doing those things? And it should be expected. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people comp him to what Mahomes was doing at Texas tech where he struggled stepping up in the pocket, struggled with pocket presence, struggled with uh, some decision-making uh, he had three bad games Mahomes did that junior year before he went off to the NFL. So it's not to be unexpected. Um, he's the most talented quarterback in the, in the country uh, upstairs. I don't know if he's the best quarterback in the country upstairs, uh, but at the end of the day, he, he's a, he's a, his talent's overwhelming. And if he gets going and he gets confident, his eyes are in the right place. He's trusting the offense. I think, you know, a lot of people point to that Texas tech game a year ago, of what he can be. Uh, and when he looks like that, like he did against TCU and Texas Tech, I, it's hard to find another quarterback in the country that's better. 
you talk about the upstairs piece. Is that just him needing to mature a little bit more because he is still a younger ish quarterback, him just needing to mature a little bit more and realize that he can't just rely on the arm talent. He's not going to be able to, to, to beat people just on his arm. Yeah. And I think just, I, I think if anything, like just picking up indicators, like quickly, like not, not like, I appreciate the fact that he's so coachable that he'll do whatever he's coached to do, but when Baker and you covered Oklahoma, I believe maybe you left right after him or whatever. But when Baker got good was when Baker wasn't needing to look at the sideline to figure out what was happening on the field. Baker was controlling the offense. He was managing the offense. Tyler Murray until 9, 10, 11 games in the season to take his hands off. Jalen Hurts never had that, but like very much at all. Rattler didn't check much at all last year on his own. So it also goes hand in hand with how much confidence Lincoln has that they can run his offense to the best of its ability. Uh, we saw a little bit last week and even in the first week where Spitzer kind of took some of that on his own and grew up and matured and can see things and adjust on the fly. Um, and it's just, hey, it's stacking those weeks on each other. He's going to get a tougher opponent this week. Oklahoma's offensive line has still not really shown that they can be the group that they need to be. Uh, Nebraska, obviously, their strength is in that front seven. So this is going to be a great test for Spencer. It's going to be a great barometer to see how much he's grown up, how he can deal with a left tackle getting beat sometimes, a right tackle getting beat sometimes, um, and, and staying in the pocket and making decisions on his own. Uh, yeah, I think it has a little bit to do with maturing and growing up, but it's also, too, it goes hand-in-hand hand with Lincoln making sure that if he's going to have control of the offense, Lincoln is, and not take his hands off, that, you know, he needs to put Spencer in the best position to be successful in every play. Uh, and really, they've kind of been really vanilla the first two weeks and not, you know, as the year goes on, Derek, you covered Oklahoma. You know, Lincoln gets more creative as, as the year goes on. And so we'll see as they – we saw split back – you saw me tweet this. We saw split back with a handoff for, for a running back for the first time this year, once on Saturday. I would anticipate you guys that Nebraska is going to see a lot of new stuff on Saturday and stuff that I haven't seen quite yet either. So we'll get to Lincoln in a second because I want to talk about the thing with with his play calling because it's been a, a recurring thing that people bring up. It's it's just a – I don't know if it's a boogeyman or not. Um, but one more, one more thing on Spencer. This is going to be – now we'll find out this weekend how like actually good Nebraska's defense is if it is actually good. Um, but uh, is it safe to say that this will be the best defense Spencer has faced this season so far? Um, what, yeah, what do you think yeah. For this, se- this season, and I, I would say that it'll be the the Iowa State last year, Baylor last year. That Baylor defense may be the best defense in the Big Twelve when it's all said and done. Um, Iowa State last year, Baylor last year, TCU's defense was good. They weren't great. I mean, this is probably the third, fourth, fifth in terms of on paper um, heading into a game. I mean, this is probably fourth, fifth, sixth best defense he's faced since he's been at Oklahoma. So, yeah, it'll be a it'll be a really good test for them. Uh, And that goes hand in hand with the offensive line, which I know you'll want to get to as well. Yeah. And and Nebraska, it'll be curious to see how Nebraska tries to take advantage of that because Nebraska is still searching for that kind of premier pass rusher. They just don't have that guy. They haven't had that guy. Lincoln, I mean, they're up 37-14 at halftime, 40-22 to entering the fourth. This is a thing that has happened. They have squandered leads. What is it actually a thing, Keegan? Do you actually think that this is a thing with Lincoln, or is it just 
circumstantial. Like, are you worried about him having a lead late and then getting conservative? Because if, if Vegas is right on this one, Oklahoma should have a lead, a big lead going into the fourth. Yeah. I, again, I, I want to reiterate, you know, we're talking about the best offensive mind in football, college, NFL, regardless what the, I think you can point to the 2019 season. You're seeing a lot of that on Twitter right now uh, of Jalen hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles in week one. It was almost a carbon copy of what they ran the last back half of 2019. And that's for a reason. And cause Lincoln's special of what he does, making adjustments and knowing what fits his quarterback strengths I do think there is part of it of I want to hold stuff back. I don't want to show everything every single week. I, I think the, the game, a lot of people, if you want to point to something that points to that, that 2017, that first TCU game before they have to play TCU again, um, about three or four weeks, you know, Rodney Anderson has a monster first half. They're up 24, 30, and they didn't run any. They just ran it right at TCU for the second half. Like they didn't try anything. They didn't try to be creative. So I, I think part of it is that he wants to see his offense be able to run the base and run the basics of the offense. And at the same time, he the worst thing that probably could have happened to him as a play caller, Derek, is that he now has a defense that he can trust and rely on and a kicker that he can trust and rely on. And that's going to – Oklahoma people don't want to hear that. But that's Okay. Sometimes it's okay if your quarterback's not figuring things out in the Big 12 championship. It's okay on a third and nine to surrender that drive and punt it and put Iowa State back inside their tent. It's okay for that to happen. I promise you. And, you know, I, I think that it's, it takes an adjustment because for the first four years, you saw Lincoln just an onslaught of week to week trying to pummel his opponents from a scheme perspective. And really since Grinch has been hired, it hasn't been that way. So I think it goes all hand in hand together, Derek. I, I would say that I, I full trust in Lincoln that he's going to, you know, that the base, the, he's not going to, I know we'll talk about this, but uh, I would anticipate with everything that's happened with the Nebraska game that I don't think that you're going to see Oklahoma take the foot off the gas this week. Let's talk about that right now. Cause that's one thing I wanted to get to. Um, Nebraska tried to back out of this game. And there was, there was no denying that from Nebraska's side of things. Now they gave you reasons that maybe weren't true reasons, but Nebraska tried to back out of this game in the springtime. And so we've had months and months and months of um, bits and pieces coming out here and there of what happened, why it happened. Uh, Bill Moose, Nebraska's former athletic director, told um, the newspapers that he advised Scott Frost against trying to do it. And then Brett McMurphy reported that Scott Frost was the main proponent trying to get out of the game. So there are a lot of different ways that you can interpret Nebraska trying to get out of this game. But the fact of the matter is this was the 50th anniversary of the 1971 game of the century. This game means a whole lot to a whole lot of people. We just got done talking about it in the earlier part of this podcast. Um, and from Oklahoma's perspective, Lincoln Riley could take that. And even if it wasn't factual, could tell his team, they're scared of you guys. They disrespected us. Let's hang a hundred on them or something like that. Right. Do you think that Lincoln is going to try to run up the score on this team as sort of, we're going to get you back for what, what happened? I guess what's been the tone from Lincoln from the offense during this week leading up to it. 
Yeah, I, I would – I want to say this. Like, the big thing is not Lincoln and the football team. Like, Joe Castiglione's not happy about it. And I'm sure when – whoever the AD or Albert's now that's up there, when they meet on their Friday night meeting to go over the event planning and all that fun stuff, that Joe will have some choice words. Um, but – Well, Bill wasn't happy about it either, so. <laughs> allegedly, right? I think I think we have to put the quotes around that. Oh, but sure. Who knows? He, um, he, he wasn't. <laughs> so I, I would say this. I think to themselves, they need to go out and prove that they can go do that. I think you saw that after the Texas game last year, after they played bad in the first quarter, great football the next two, great the first half of the fourth, and somehow a 14-point lead with six minutes left evaporated and that game went to overtime they come up against tcu they throw a knockout punch in the first quarter and they kept punching and they kept punching texas tech same thing this team needs this team has a lot it needs to prove to itself that they're capable of doing that so i think it wouldn't have a nebraska factor to it now will joe c probably be like lincoln don't no like don't let up like keep spencer in until the fourth quarter if you have to like I'm not going to sit here. I don't think Joe – I think he's too much of a professional to say something along those lines. I don't know. I don't think anything this offseason really is going to be like bulletin board material. But this team has a lot to prove itself. I mean, they've – you go back since 2017, Derek, or since Lincoln became the head coach, they've had 15 games, 15 games that they've given up three or two or three touchdown leads and allowed teams to get back in. It's, I mean, so they've got a lot to go prove themselves. I was about to say it's unacceptable. It is. Um, but they got a lot to – they need to go prove themselves that they are the team they think they are, that this team is capable of winning a national championship, um, that they think they are. So I think for those reasons you could see it, you know, if it's a three-touchdown game or four late in the third, like Spencer stays in a little bit longer than maybe he should. Um Granted that Caleb Williams needs as many reps as he can as the backup quarterback. So I, I would say that they've got a lot on, on them that they need to go out and prove this week. I don't know how much Nebraska and the offseason stuff is going to have to do with it, but I will say that. Say I will put that there, and then I'll also say I wouldn't be surprised if Joe C. said something because um, we both know Joe Castiglione really well. He's a very good professional, but he's very petty. Yeah, yes, he is. Yep, that's for sure. Um, let's talk about the offensive line real quick, and then we'll switch to the defense. Uh, OU's 52nd nationally, I believe, in standard down success rate. Um, you look at some of the, the offensive line-centric analytics, they're bottom 30, bottom 40 in things like line yard stuff rate, power success rate, things like that. Now, small sample size, obviously, they've only played two games, but you've referenced the offensive line a couple times. Are you concerned about what you've seen from them? Do you think it's just a rough start, slow to get rolling? What do you think is going on with the offensive line? I think the the biggest thing is just continuity. Andrew Rain was out for 10 days of fall camp. Uh, as everybody saw, the report from RJ Young can confirm that. He did test positive for COVID-19. Um, and uh, so he was out 10 days. And Morris didn't come in to camp 100% physically ready. So two of your top guys, two NFL, likely NFL guys, are not available for you. Uh, you want those guys to be there. And when they're not, uh, I think it causes some for some concern, has some concern there. And, you know, Bill B, though, uh, 
he's going to roll with the punches with his veterans that know the offense, that know the play calls. He's going to roll with them until he doesn't have, he doesn't, he, he can't. And so will, will you guys see Tyrese Robinson at right tackle? Likely. Will you see Robert Condrell at center? Likely. Are those two, are those two guys that by week nine are starting? Probably not. So I think a lot of it has to do with just talent overall, getting the right pieces on the field, those guys being ready and just continuity in general. I mean, Andrew Rams working with the ones at center for six months. And next thing you know, 10 days leading up to the game, Robert Condell's having to work at center, transfer from Arizona. That's going to cause some issues. So they have a, they've allowed a, too much pressure. Um, they've allowed not been able to run the football well. And um, at least it weren't against Tulane. Now, I will say, like, if people read, read my reports and do whatever, I specifically pointed out 77 from Tulane's a really good defensive tackle. So it was 94. Like, those are NFL guys, like future NFL guys. So, like, it's no – those guys provided some trouble. But, I mean, it's time. Like, Chris Murray, right guard. Like, whenever you see him, you're going to be like, man, he is short and squatty, 6'1", but he's about as good as I've evaluated as an interior guy across the country. And it's time for him to dominate this week. It's time for Marquis Sayes, your fifth-year senior. It's time for you to dominate. Anton Harrison, you've had a full spring and a full summer now, left tackle. Time, time to go out and dominate. If those guys play up to their capabilities each, each week, every snap, they're pretty good. I think they get, got a chance to be a pretty good offensive line. So get some continuity, get the right puzzle pieces in, and we'll see kind of what happens. But, I, again, I, I'm not anticipating you – Nebraska will see Oklahoma's best offensive line this week. Okay. Let's pivot to the defense. Oklahoma's currently 20th nationally in yards per play allowed. Now, again, small sample size. Um, but there, there was a lot of consternation about the speed D in week one. A big piece of this matchup will be can Nebraska keep pace with Oklahoma's offense because Oklahoma's offense is going to put up points regardless of how well Nebraska's defense plays. Um, how do you think this matchup goes? Oklahoma's defense against Nebraska's offense? Well, considering what I charted in the first week with all the pressures that they allowed, um, I think I had 12 of them. And Illinois was able to do that, rushing only three or four on seven or eight of those. That's a problem. Uh, that's a, that's a problem. Um, especially against everybody will point, oh, they didn't have – they only had two sacks against Tulane. Well, Tulane was getting rid of the football in a second. Snap, one read, throwing it, quick throw. You can't get you can't get sacks. You can generate some pressure doing that, but you can't get sacks that way. Adrian Martinez uh, doesn't do that. And when you're talking about a, a defense that through the first two weeks, from a pressure standpoint, is pressuring the quarterback better than they were a year ago at this point, um, I think there's not much cause for concern. I will say that the biggest thing, and it's going to be scheme related stuff. Um, you know, we talked about it last night on our podcast. Week one, like Tulane was running it on passing downs and passing it on running downs. And Grinch is very adamant about scheme-related things. Like if it's a passing down, we're going to pass blitz, which means we're going to drop both of our safeties back into coverage off the snap, which takes them out of a run fit. The free hitter coming up to get, come up in the hole and go make a play takes them out of the play completely. Um, there was a little bit of that last week. There was times on third and 13 where guys were open and third and eight guys were open and the bowl wasn't completed. So I, I do think that from a personnel perspective, they're fine. Like when you guys watch David Aguebu play linebacker number two, it'll amaze you. 
you know, 6'4", 250, and could run. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. They got, they're fine in the secondary. Uh, their defensive line, they've got six, seven NFL guys along it. And, you know, I, I think that if, if Grinch, and I've said this before, and I think this goes with a lot of coordinators and coaches in college, um, kind of falls in love with something so much that it's hard to get away from it. Like if Oklahoma just pinned its ears back and said, Perry on go, go rush this guy, bull rush the A gap. Just do that for 30 snaps. Just go do that. Isaiah Thomas, just rush off the edge 30 times. Nick Benito, just rush off the edge. Don't stunt. If they would just wear back and play their base defense, I don't know if there's a defense in the country that's going to generate as much pressure and as much problem and havoc as Oklahoma would. Um, so I think there's a, that kind of give and take, right, where, like, you want to be yourself and play your game and do what you do, but also at the same time, is it hurting you at times more than it has in the past through these first two weeks? Kind of. So there's going to be some scheme-related stuff. And, you know, I broke down the Nebraska offense against Iowa last year. Like, I thought Frost schemed things up really well. There's a ton of guys open um, in the secondary. Bowls, you know, I thought Martinez was actually relatively good in that game. Um, whenever you talk about, like, progressions and getting to the right place and doing those things, I thought he was pretty good. So I have confidence that Frost can see some stuff within Grinch and be able to counter that and have some success and have a couple of explosive plays, four or five explosive plays put together maybe two to three drives that look really good um, that he can counter kind of what Oklahoma is doing. So um, now if that doesn't happen, that means Grinch has adjusted already through two games because the last time something like this conversation was happening, Kansas state rushed 260 on him in Manhattan and they lost. So um, there's a, there's a lot to unpack about this defense. They're as talented as anybody in the country, Nebraska. I don't know if they play Penn state this year, or Wisconsin, um, two of the better defenses right now through two weeks. Oklahoma is going to look very similar, um, maybe even more athletic and more physical and more explosive um, than those defenses. I just don't know if they're better in the back end of the secondary. So it's, uh, it's a lot to unpack about this defense so far through two weeks, but they're back up to 14th in SP+. They fell to 30th after week one. That does adjust for opponent and strength. And with how well they played a week ago, um, just across the board, like I said, there's four or five plays where Western Carolina kind of caught Grinch uh, in a play call that maybe probably shouldn't have been in. Again, I'm not in those walls. I'm not in those offices. I'm not game planning. Um, but there's going to be opportunity for Nebraska to find some explosive plays and do those things. Yeah. Um, they play Wisconsin. They do not play Penn State. They get Ohio State, Michigan, and um... – blanking on the third crossover game. They get Ohio State Michigan this year. They do not get Penn State, fortunately. They got they got the weakest team in the Eastern Conference. They're the Eastern Division, man. Ohio State's coming to town. Um everybody always says three keys. Keegan, give me two keys to the game Saturday. For Oklahoma or for want to go Oklahoma or for Nebraska? Both. Uh dealer's choice. Go with what you feel. I think the biggest key for Oklahoma is is offensively I, I would say they just got to deal with pressure. I mean, it's time. This offensive line's too damn talented to keep playing like this. It just is. Like, you know, I could talk to you in days, you know, about Marquise Hayes has a draftable grade right now. Like, if you would have gone off to the NFL last year, he would have been a fourth, fifth-round pick. Uh, on to Anton Harrison. Bill Bebo talks about how he's one of the more athletic guys that he's ever coached at the position with Cody Ford. Um, time to show up. 
Chris Murray, you look like a future All-American first-round pick in 20, uh, 2019 at UCLA. Like, it, it's time for that to show up. And so I think the, the allowed pressure offensively, because it all goes hand-in-hand. Hand. I mean, again, Spencer's a young quarterback. The moment he has felt pressure in games – uh, has not it has been a lot more volatile, you know, snap to snap. So that Oklahoma's defense, I, I think it's just be yourself. I mean, Perron Winfrey against Tulane didn't show up until the final five defensive snaps, and Alex Grinch called them out this week, kind of because of it. So defensively, if eight's going and eight's playing and eight wants to go every snap, it's hard to find a defensive tackle in the country that plays with that kind of motor, with that kind of power, that kind of length. So Oklahoma needs Perrion Winfrey to show up in a big way on Saturday. That's number eight tackle. Uh, he's the, will be the largest man on the field, at least will look like that. Uh, very broad-shouldered. Um, Dane Brugler had him in his top 50 draft guys heading into the season. So for Nebraska, again, I, I think it's it's not – like you can't be overwhelmed by Oklahoma. Like if, if you can take those punches – like take Oklahoma, for example. Like they're – Alabama always delivers this haymaker in the first quarter just because they're so much more talented and they're so much more physical. And if you can withstand that and, and, and not get behind 28 nothing in the first quarter, uh, you, you have a chance to win those games. So Nebraska is going to get a monster first punch from Oklahoma on Saturday. They're going to be showing up ready to play. And if they can withstand that, be able to adjust in the game to what Grinch is doing defensively, I think Nebraska's got a chance to have to put some drives together. I really do. And it's just take advantage of Oklahoma's aggression defensively. Um, and, you know, I, I again, I would say for their defense, keep Spencer in the pocket. When that guy gets out of the pocket, he's – I've said this, there's maybe five quarterbacks on planet Earth that can do what he does. And he's, uh, he's extremely special. I enjoy the hell out of breaking him down. I get mad at times breaking him down. Um, but he's, uh, he's incredibly talented, and uh, that's going to be Nebraska's biggest key. Keep that kid in the pocket. You can keep him in the pocket. You're going to have a chance to win. Um, and win, I mean that. Uh, he, he's mentally upstairs. Again, like I said, he's still growing, man. Uh, none of these kids are these 21-year-olds. Sam Howe, uh, Matt Corral. Matt Corral looks fantastic right now, but I promise you, in three or four games, he's going to throw like three picks because he just blindly makes throws. And Keaton Slow is the same. So those quarterbacks are going to be volatile this year. Spencer's in that same group. Um, it's just keep him in the pocket, make him beat you. And if you can, you're going to give yourself a pretty good chance to win. I'm going to link to uh, to Keegan's Twitter account in the description on this post. You guys can can find and follow him. I recommend doing so. Um, but Keegan, I want to give you a second. Plug your stuff. Where can people read your stuff? Where can people hear you? Yes, I, I would say this. You can go to our Through the Keyhole Patreon. Um, it's through patreon.com slash through the keyhole. Uh, it's got great stuff, film reviews. Like this week, we'll break, I'll be breaking down Nebraska today um, and have a film review of them up for tomorrow. Like we'll be breaking down some of the games across the country for Friday and then a post game, uh, you know, Nebraska film review on Sunday. So you'll get a little, the people of Oklahoma will get a little uh, scout for Nebraska, which ended up coming really true for the Tulane game. Um, I, to almost any game I could find in any, all 22 from last season right now. So it's been really, really beneficial. Um, and then I think the biggest thing, you know, if you guys are in the sports betting world and all that, although the uh, Vegas is wrecking everybody, I am 500 on the year. So I feel pretty good about that. 
Uh, and that's with sharprank.com. You can download their app and you can find my picks and do all that fun stuff. Partner with them about a month ago. They're a great company. Um, so you can find my picks each week for that. I was 55% against the spread last year, as good as the models are. Uh, bowl season wrecked my ass, pardon my French, um, but got down to 53, but had a strong year last year when everybody didn't. We're off to a pretty strong start this year. We'll see how we can do, and that's sharprank.com. Bowl season is volatile too. We won't hold you to that. Keegan, I'll let you get out of here. Thanks, man, for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Take care, man. That'll do it for this week. Keep reading HillVarsity.com. Subscribe to this podcast. And we'll talk to you guys next week. A Huda Media Production.